0: Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the May 28, 2023 session focusing on John chapter 7 verses 37 through 39. Letting the Spirit Flow. I'm David Cassidy.
1: I'm Crystal Shepard.
2: I'm David Adams.
0: Today we have the brave three, (laughs) me, David, and Crystal. (laughs) As it turns out, Nikki is tied up with graduation duties at her job. And Daniel is doing this wonderful thing called a sabbatical, where he gets to take a month off. And we celebrate that for him because he really needs that break. And we all do, but I'm glad he's getting it. (laughs) Anyway, welcome, David and Crystal. Our tastes change and also the options change as we age and grow and mature. I'm always drinking something. I just need to stay hydrated. And so I was remembering the other day some of the things I used to enjoy drinking when I was younger, like a child or a teenager. And so I wonder for you, what's a favorite beverage from when you were growing up?
1: I have several. (laughs) I used to love. I didn't get it very often because we couldn't buy it very often. But I loved the Carnation Instant Breakfast. Yes. I don't know why I loved it. It was so chocolatey, and it was just so good. I mean, I would eat breakfast with it. I wouldn't use it for breakfast, but I loved that. I loved like the Nesquik chocolate milk, too. But as I got older, when I was a teenager, I loved McDonald's Cokes. There was nothing like a McDonald. There was one make- thing, a McDonald's Coke.
0: Yeah, what makes it different?
1: I think they put like a million pounds of sugar or straight crack into it. I don't know. But the only way you can top a McDonald's Coke, and I'm going to age myself, my friend's dad owned a furniture store, and they had a Coke machine that you could get Cokes out of the glass bottle.
0: Oh, yeah. And that's
1: the only way you can top a McDonald's Coke. But I used to love, love either the Coke out of the bottle or a McDonald's Coke, the best.
2: Yeah. Mine is dad's root beer. Which I'm a big root beer fan anyway, and I'm kind of sure of different exotic root beers. (laughs) But when I was growing up, we would sometimes go to our high school football games. It was because we lived out in the middle of nowhere. High school football was a really big deal, and if we won, we would stop and have pizza and Dad's root beer. Yeah. And it's the only time I ever got that root beer, but it's the experience of having it together and just the situation we were in and the taste of the root beer really got me loving that as a child. Gosh.
0: Yeah. Now y'all are bringing back memories. Uh, so I grew up a long time ago. And so I, I'm going to join you, Crystal, with one of my choices, which is a Coca-Cola in the bottle. Yes. I mean, the, 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 there is nothing like it on a hot summer's day. And man, I can't drink those anymore. I have to do the diet version, but boy, they're good. And I still have lots of memories of those. But the other drink was a root beer, David, but it was called Frosty Root Beer. Ooh. yes. Mm-hmm. You remember those? Mr. Frosty? Yeah, Mr. Frosty. Mm-hmm. And it was just so good. I have no idea how much sugar was in it, but it was, you don't want to know. It was incredible. <laughs> and Dad used to pack those in the ice chest when we would go fishing. And so we would enjoy those out on the boat while we were catching or trying to catch fish. But yeah, great memories. I wish I could enjoy all the same things I did when I was younger and actually had a metabolism. (laughs) Today, we have a passage that maybe has a little bit of beverage in it. Maybe. I like cold beverages. (laughs) So David, would you help us get started with this one?
2: Sure. Recently. I was having a conversation with an official from a Baptist organization, and I mentioned that our church was working on making some decisions by the time Pentecost week rolls around. It took a couple of seconds before he asked me, when is that? Which, of course, accompanied the question of, what do you mean by that? Apparently, being a Baptist and all, he assumed that this was either a Sunday for Pentecostals or some weird thing that only certain Christian groups celebrated. I had to explain that it, that was a Sunday where we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit to the believers who were gathered together in Jerusalem following Jesus' ascension into heaven. Which we celebrated last week, by the way. As I mentioned to him, during my first year of pastoring my little Baptist church, they discovered that there are whole new dimensions of Christianity that many of them had never discovered before. The idea that there is a Christian calendar that celebrates certain special days related to the narrative of the scriptures came as a bit of a surprise, but a welcome one. Soon we had colored sand in our candle holders, and someone even took it upon himself to make a wooden cross on the wall behind me that gets backlit to whatever the current color of the Christian year tends to be. It's red for Pentecost, by the way. He probably thought that we were just being weird in our own special way, but I think this is a good thing for local Christian congregations. It's that one Sunday a year where I'm liable to preach in fluorescent colors, show a Five Iron Frenzy video like Boomerangs with its chorus that we could start a fire, and do other loud and boisterous things. I appreciate visiting with other Baptist groups that are similarly weird to see what they do i recently visited first baptist church in middlesboro kentucky and saw that they have a great poster explaining the church year as well as a handbook produced by their pastor that explains it all to members and visitors he told me that it was very well received which confirms my suspicion that adding a little extra bit of context to our faith can be a good thing there are so many different experiences of christianity that people miss out on when they remain isolated within the tried and true. Countless churches are filled with people who have not experienced worshiping with people of other races, are truly hearing their perspectives preached, who have never heard a good female preacher, who think the experiences of the members of the LBGTQ community have nothing to teach us, who don't do certain rituals that other churches do, who don't even know how they do things at the church on the other side of the street. We can all grow from opening our minds and seeking new ways to deepen our faith. All of this comes to mind when I see that we chose this Johannine passage for Pentecost. Where are the tongues of fire in the rushing wind? What happened to speaking in tongues? How do we do justice to Pentecost while not talking about Pentecost? Choosing a scripture like this to celebrate a well-defined day on the Christian calendar is like trying to tell the Christmas story without any gospel passages, or talking about Easter without including any of the events of that Sunday morning. Are we really going to do this? When I first thought about it, it made me feel frustrated. Like living in a state where their idea of history includes talking about Rosa Parks without mentioning why she chose that particular seat on the bus. Something big happened. Tell the story. Then I started to look at this passage more deeply. When you look at the preceding narrative, you read that Jesus and his family were debating an appearance at the Festival of the Booths. These are joyous, holy days where the Jews celebrate God's provision for them in the wilderness. And the festival they were talking about attending was the perfect opportunity for him to get his message out and be seen in all the right places. After turning down a chance to make his attendance part of a publicity tour, Jesus went to the temple and started teaching things that outraged the religious leaders. They tried to silence him, or at least get him to move his message onto more acceptable topics. But it was no use. Finally, they sent guards in to remove him. But they couldn't bring themselves to do it. Ultimately, they ended up cursing the crowd and anyone who came to hear Jesus speak, including Nicodemus. And in the midst of all that, Jesus tells the crowd that they can come to him for living water, referring to the Spirit that would later come on Pentecost Sunday. That's the portion of the story where our scriptures are focused. While it's not the Pentecost story I was hoping for, it might be the one that I need. Not only does Jesus promise the coming of the Spirit, after all, But he demonstrates how it works. If this is a foreshadowing of Pentecost, it is one that demonstrates the Spirit at work, or at least how it seems to work for us now. Even though I have a severe distaste for how Athanasius twisted the church to meet his ends, I admit to having been brought up as a good Trinitarian Baptist. Like many Baptists, I follow God's Son and the book that tells us about them when properly interpreted. Okay, I don't really. But having been taught by example that this is what many people seem to venerate, I can understand why we're so afraid about talking about the spirit. The spirit challenges us. The spirit causes us to do things, to change things, to challenge things, to believe things. It might even cause us to, dare I say it, innovate. The spirit is creative and free as opposed to something we can track down and lock into a book that we can later interpret for our purposes. We just don't trust that. People might be moved by the spirit to say things you don't want them to say. You start following the spirit and soon you find yourself standing in the temple teaching things that religious leaders don't want to have said, and offering people a chance at a living faith that cannot be contained or silenced rather than aesthetic when they can. You start speaking in people's native language, Declaring a gospel that they can understand because it meets them where they are rather than forcing them to come to you. You start rejecting decorum and doing things that other people think are crazy as if you're drunk or something. You might lose control. And if being a member of the clergy has taught me anything is that we love to be in control. This little passage, as out of its place as it might sound, is part of a larger context that tells us something about what the Spirit might be about, if it wants to be. It opens up the possibility of a faith that is watered with living water instead of one that we merely read about and conform to. It makes a promise that we can grow upon rather than perpetuating more of the same. We would do well to let these rivers of living water flow from our hearts, especially in these dark times. Thoughts, prayers, and persisting in anger and fear are getting us nowhere. Let's try letting the Spirit flow instead. Let's have our Pentecost. That's some background about this passage of Scripture.
1: David, I like this view of the Spirit that you give. We talk a lot on here about the Spirit being wild and free and... I like this idea of letting go of control and realizing we're not in control to begin with, right? We have this illusion of control, but when you were talking about that and talking about this difference, it made me think about recently in Tennessee, when there were three people who spoke after the Covenant school shooting, they spoke out about, three senators spoke out about the gun violence, and it was two African-American senators and a female, and I listened to some of the speeches from these gentlemen, and they were powerful and spirit filled and moving and they were actually kicked out of the Senate. But then they got invited back in, which was just a very interesting. But when you were talking about that, it made me think of all these great movements in our history that have happened that have been that have changed things and looking at them as spirit filled moments where people listened to your if you want to call it your gut, the spirit. I call it the Spirit when I'm working with people. I in therapy I talk to them about listening to that voice inside of them. Gosh, like I wish that we would relinquish some of that perceived control and allow the spirit to move as the spirit sees fit because I think some pretty amazing things start to happen. And I think what you said is correct. Like the hate and the anger is getting us nowhere so if we take time to breathe and to listen i wonder what the spirit would say
2: i think a lot of people are afraid of what the spirit might say
1: (laughs) yes they are it's scary it's very scary
2: and a lot of that i couldn't find a way to fit this into the introduction but I'm sure if you have anybody out there who is, a say, a philosophy major, they're aware of this, this idea that around the turn of the last century, we moved to a place where we stopped trusting subjective points of view, this idea that I know something, I've experienced something that you haven't, mm-hmm. that I can't prove it by the experiment, I can't weigh it and tell you how much it is, but I've experienced something and it's moving me to do something else. We started to not trust that as we moved in what they call modernist ways of thinking. And so we spent well over a century now trying to say that the only thing that's real to us are things that we can measure our control, our weigh, or cut into small pieces. We spent a long time trying to stamp out this idea that, ooh, we can have experiences that are meaningful. And if we share them, they can be transformative and they can really make a difference in our world. I think we're just now getting back to where we see that's a possibility. We don't really know how to get a hold of that yet.
0: As I was listening to you, Dave, talk about this passage and describe the work of the Spirit and describe all these parts that make us uncomfortable, (laughs) I think we have to sit in our uncomfortableness for a bit because I think it tells us something about ourselves and about perhaps how we have come to think about our faith, how we have been taught to think about our faith, Even, I'm just spitballing here, how do we talk about our faith with our children as we're raising them in ways that leave space for the work of the Spirit, that leave space for the unpredictable movement of the Spirit, for being perceptive about the Spirit? I don't have good answers for these things, but I think the fact that we are often uncomfortable with this conversation It's instructive. And we at least ought to look in the mirror and go, what does this say about me that this makes me uncomfortable? And maybe that's a place to grow. I don't know. Yeah.
2: yeah. And I'm seeing, too, and I'm trying to allude to this, but one of the big problems we seem to have, and if I'm in a Sunday school class and I'm talking about the Spirit, this might come up. If someone could inevitably ask the question, how do I know what the Spirit's telling you is true and the Spirit's telling me something else and (laughs) telling them some other thing? Exactly. the real answer to that is to say, why don't we all share what the Spirit has told all of us together and see what we've learned together, as opposed to living in a country now where, okay, the Spirit tells one person one thing and one the other, they're going to have a fight.
1: Uh, They're going to have to make
2: it something that we can't get along. We can't be together. We can't share these subjective experiences because after all, we're told we're supposed to be adversaries.
1: And that there's an absolute right and there's an an absolute wrong. There's no room left for the spectrum. Of things, and I'm not, and I'm not saying evil, and all that. I'm just saying you may have a belief about something, and I may have a belief about something, but why can we not, like you said, bring those together and talk about them and find our commonalities rather than all of those differences that are there? Because, like, when I think about what is currently going on in our country, like, there's faith, like the most different person I have, say, in my family, still has faith in God. And this person, and I think very differently on a wide range of issues. But What I love about this person is I'm able, because we're family, I'm able to have a conversation with them. So like the other day, they had said something about a particular group of people and they have it based on their experience. They've done, they've had certain experiences in life because of their background. And so I messaged them and I said, hey, um, I've been reading about this. And this is where I'm coming from. But I'm starting to understand maybe where you're coming from. And that opened that conversation for her to say, yes, that's what I meant. I don't hate people. This is where I'm coming from. And so it was just nice to say, okay, there's more commonality there if we look for it. And maybe that's the spirit. Maybe the spirit is what draws us together. And if we listen, then maybe we realize we're more alike than we thought.
0: Absolutely. I Also, I think it's common for us to try to find metaphors or some way to understand the spirit. And given that it's springtime, (laughs) I can't help but think about the way gardens grow. Because I grew up, my dad would plant a huge vegetable garden. Yes, the kind that he would drag me out of bed early on Saturday morning to work in. But I remember he would make these long rows and we'd have peas and squash. Now squash not in rows, they grow circular. There were all these areas where he had planned it out. And inevitably, some things would grow much better than expected, and others wouldn't flourish at all or might not even survive. And so even though there was this beginning kind of plan for the garden, by it wasn't long before we realized the garden had a, a design of its own, <laughs> and and a life of its own, and it would, it was okay, right, that that we ended up with more tomatoes one year and more green beans another year, or maybe the watermelons flourished one year, but another year it was the cantaloupes. I, but it, and I think maybe even more instructive for the kinds of gardens, flower gardens, and other things we might put in that we have learned to be adaptive there, right? We know that these are not bricks that we're building something with. They are living, kind of like this text says, living water. It's not a brick that we're setting on top of another brick that's not gonna change. These are alive and they will go in directions and grow in directions that we don't expect and in ways we can't predict. And I maybe that's an instructive image to think about when we're considering what the spirit might be like and how it might work in our lives, that we, yes, are following a path of faith, but that the growth happens sometimes in places we don't plant <laughs> and, and where we don't fertilize. And that's okay. Maybe we go with that rather than ripping it out.
2: I think trusting enough to give up control is a major thing and. At- any metaphor that gets us there is very positive because giving up control makes us angry and afraid more than anything else. I've been spending the last six months hanging around with terminally ill people and doing things to help keep them alive and stuff. And in our conversations back and forth, the most friction we get are always over issues where they feel like they're losing control over something in their lives and it terrifies them, but it makes them very angry too. And I think the spirit, Offers up a chance to have a faith that could be uncontrollable. And we just don't want a faith that does that.
1: That's a hard one to sit with. <laughs> I think it's it's hard. I had a friend the other day talk to me about Christians and she I homeschool my kids. There's a an interesting Balance and array of people in homeschooling. So a lot of people, when they think of homeschooling, they think hairs and hair and buns and blue jean skirts and and there's definitely that there, but there's like a variety. And she said that someone had asked her, "Are you a believer?" And she, like, you're a believer, right? You believe in Jesus. And she said, I got really uncomfortable because she's, I have always been in the Christian circle. She said, but I am like questioning things. And she said, so I'm really uncomfortable with that label right now. And so she's, I don't know exactly what I believe. And so we talked about that. And I think that's the kind of like faith that maybe you're talking about, David is like, it's where I say in seminary, my faith got deconstructed and then built back up. And I feel like that's a. there's this constant flex in my life of deconstruction and reconstruction. And maybe that's the movement of the spirit, this kind of like pulling apart and putting back together. And that's part of the growth. It's very hard to sit in those moments of deconstruction when you don't have the control, when you feel like there's no footing underneath you or ground underneath you to catch you because you what you used to think has been changed.
0: Yes. I, and I think a lot of times we are tossed into those eras of what you're calling deconstruction where what we thought we believed we suddenly wonder about and perhaps are looking for some other way of thinking. That life crises are the prompts for those. So it might be, a traumatic experience. It might be the loss of a loved one. It might be the breakup of a relationship. It might be dealing with a terrible illness. It, there's so many things that can happen in our lives that cause us to rethink our faith and how it works. And I think so often, and I think we probably all know people like this for whom they hit one of these experiences and they are, and because they're previous way of thinking about god and faith didn't work they just chuck it it's gone it's that was bad rather than perhaps seeing the difficult parts of life as teachable moments that help us reshape and reframe our faith in ways that are more resilient that are more that change because we change and God is alive and not a Brit. And that interaction is going to look different in different parts of our lives than others. And that's okay. That's part of growing up.
2: He was known for burning churches where people there didn't agree with him and basically organized the Council of Nicaea and come out with this creed yes. that we're all supposed to follow. At that point, three quarters of the innovations and changes and experiences people were having in Christianity were made illegal. You yeah. couldn't talk about him anymore. We've just turned our back on that kind of thinking that you could live that way and that Christianity could be that kind of vibrant living faith that could do something in favor of an official perspective on things. And I think nowadays we're coming back to it, but we're groaning and going through a lot of pain as we do it. Mm-hmm.
0: I think we are. And I think part of it has been perhaps an over-reliance on doctrine and orthodoxy, mm-hmm. where certain beliefs become set in stone that that we believe in those beliefs <laughs> yes. to a degree that it prevents us from exploring or the spirit from taking us into new directions, which may not be, it doesn't mean we don't have beliefs. It means that we hold them gently and with humility that we could always be looking through a glass half full or a glass darkly that we don't see it all. We don't know it all. And that humility, I think, can be a way to keep us open to the work of the Spirit. Carlos Rodriguez said, The Holy Spirit's schedule is nothing but a series of divine surprises. (laughs) And while I like the occasional surprise, a constant set of surprises can be exhausting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And yet, wouldn't life be boring? If it weren't for these holy surprises, if it weren't for these moments where the Spirit moves in our lives to wake us up, to perhaps turn on a light bulb and help us think in a new and fresh way, and perhaps to help kind of clean our glasses and see things in a fresh way. All of those are potential works of the Spirit in our lives to help us see, and then because we see different, we act differently. And perhaps, as our Pentecostal friends might remind us, perhaps the work of the Spirit is often more in our hearts than in our heads. It's more about how we feel and what motivates us, what we value, than it is about the way we think. That's an encouraging word because often it is our hearts that know what's right and what's good and what's helpful and what's hurtful. May we all work to embrace the surprises of the Spirit in our lives, and to embrace the ways it stretches us to be better people of faith. Thank you all for this good conversation.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study Curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.